Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Josh Linkener. Josh is chairman and co-founder of Platypus Labs, an innovation research training and consulting firm. He's twice been named Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year and is the recipient of the U.S. Presidential Champion of Change Award. That's a pretty nice one. Most of you probably don't have that in your back pocket. Josh is a serial entrepreneur who's founded five tech companies, which sold for a combined value of over $200 million, is a top-rated innovation speaker and expert on disruption and hyper-growth leadership, has a couple of best-selling books, including his most recent, Big Little Breakthroughs, and, oh yeah, plays a wicked jazz guitar. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. So what do you wish more people knew, especially when it comes to innovation? Well, this has been my life's work for, you know, 30 plus years. And what I w wish people wished knew is that, uh, that we all can be creative. It doesn't have to be some members only exclusive club that's no longer accepting applicants. Human creativity is for us all. We are hardwired to be creative. That's our natural state. And sure, we can deploy it in different ways. I play jazz guitar pretty well. I can't draw a stick figure if I tried. But the truth is that creativity and innovation can be applied at every level organizationally, in our families, and in our communities. So what I hope is that everyday people become everyday innovators. And the one thing I wish people would really know is that this applies to all of us. We can all be a force for creative good. So it sounds like it's something that can be practice, it can be learned, it's a discipline. But there are people out there, I bet, who are wondering to themselves, that sounds great. I just don't think that I'm that innovator. What would you tell them? It breaks my heart. You know, I've, I've interviewed amazing entrepreneurs that came up with like the most creative, crazy stuff. And I'm like, when did you identify as a creative person? They're like, what, me? I didn't play violin in school. I'm not creative. And it's really kind of heartbreaking, honestly, because Truthfully, again, all of us are creative. And, and I like to say that creativity is very much like your weight, not your height. Like I'm 5'5 five, five on a good day. Try as I may, <laughs> I'm probably not gonna be 6'3 next month. But my weight I can control based on like exercise and nutrition and such. Your creativity is exactly like that. Every one of us can build creativity muscles, build, build our dormant creative capacity. And the cool thing is that when we harness it, it can allow us to achieve all the things that we care about the most, whether it's professional gains or relationship gains or health gains or anywhere in between. I love that idea because controllable behaviors is the key to growth and to progress. And there's so much out there in the field of neuroscience about how we are actually wired to evolve our, our, our brains, our are wired to evolve and change over time. And I guess when it comes to this field of innovation, there's something to be said for taking, as you put it, these daily shots, not these wild swings. What do you mean by that? Well, too often we think of innovation, like it only counts if it's a billion dollars. And so people take these wild swing for the fences, crazy moonshots that are laden with risk. And most of us can't risk, you know, a giant sum. I like a more pragmatic approach, which I call big little breakthroughs, which is essentially cultivating high volumes of small little baby ideas. Think of them as micro innovations. And instead of these big risky things, they're little teeny adjustments. They're little teeny baby innovations. Here's why I like it. They're way more accessible. All of us can be everyday innovators. They are not risky at all. You screw one up, no big deal. They add up to big things in quantity and you're building critical skills back to building that creative muscle mass. So I think it's just a much more thoughtful way to inject creativity individually and also organizationally. 
Okay, so I've got a big idea kicking around in the book you called A Spark. How do I get that out of my head and into the world? Well, too often people think that they skip an important step. So a big idea leads to just implementation in the widest possible array, which again is very risky. The important step that people miss is experimentation. So if you've got an idea in your head, big or small, let's test it. And let's find the cheapest, fastest, smallest, crudest, low fidelity way that we can test that. Like duct tape and paper clips, see in five minutes and 30 bucks. And if that idea shows merit, great, double down, expand and tweak and refine it. If not, get rid of it. But I think this notion that we should always be testing, great leaders are great testers. And so if we're always testing, lots and lots of little ideas. Again, we're going to know full well 80% won't work out at all. Get rid of them, move on. But those little ones that do, then don't go crazy. Just double the size of the experiment. If it still looks good, double that. And by the time you get to something that is risky, you've de-risked it altogether by using this method, this mindset of experimentation. Yeah. So controlled risk really is the key to measurable progress and the evolution of these ideas over time. So what happens when I get the idea out there, it, it starts to hit a little bit, but then it clanks. A lot of people, I think at that point, probably become discouraged and give up saying, yeah, told you, I'm not an innovator. What do you do when you have those setbacks? Well, I think a couple of things. Very few ideas are permanent. In other words, even something that we thought was great, like back in the day, Windows 2.0 or whatever, now it's something very different. And so we shouldn't think of ideas as permanent or locked in stone. They're more directional in nature. So if something works a little bit and then clanks, as you say, maybe it's time for an adjustment or a pivot or an adaptation or a new version. So this notion of sort of ongoing reinvention of ideas, that idea 1.0 worked for a while. Now let's make it idea 2.0. Ideas like milk should basically expire after a while. And then, then you should reevaluate them. If it's still optimized, keep doing it. But if it needs a little tweaking, no problem. Now it's version two, version three. So it's that notion of ongoing upgrading. I like to say break it to fix it, actually, which is this notion of that if something is working, even if it's going looking great on the outside, don't just wait for the system to fail. That whole, if it ain't broke, don't fix it old old chestnut that's terrible advice like why would you wait till something is broken so the notion of break it to fix it one of the principles and mindsets i cover in my book is the notion of proactively examining systems approaches things that are, seem to be working just fine and look to deconstruct them rebuild them in more creative ways optimizing for the current state essentially always upgrading so if you were an entrepreneur so that's baked into you know the life cycle of your idea of your business but for people who find themselves, and we have a bunch of you out there who, who are in more corporate settings where they don't necessarily feel that entrepreneurial spirit alive and well, what are some things they can do to try to bring that sense of entrepreneurism to their work and be entrepreneurs? Well, the good news is that excuse me, there's a lot of, lot of enthusiasm around creativity, generally, even by leaders, as long as we can de-risk it. So if we can show a way to sort of tip the scales in the favor of reducing risk, people tend to have heavy appetites for prototypes. And so an idea would be like, if you went to your CEO and hey, hey, I got this crazy idea, I just need a blank check and unlimited time, they'll just call security. <laughs> but if you say, on the other hand, like, I want to create this little thing in my own lunch hour with three other colleagues that we're going to come up with four or five small ideas that we want to test every week, you know, that's going to be met with more enthusiasm. So I think you have to sort of make the case for creativity if you're going to need, need buy-in. And then start small, like put points on the board, 
get some results over the goal line. And then people are going to start to sort of loosen up their, their fear factor and also loosen up the resources that are needed for ongoing uh, creativity. The other thing I'll say for any leaders listening is that this notion of rituals and rewards that support the creative process, that, that, res that support responsible risk-taking. One of the people I interviewed in the book has a cool ritual. Every Friday, they at his company, they do F up Fridays. It's a full company brown bag lunch. And one by one, each person has to stand up and proudly share what they effed up that week and what they learned from it. And when they get to someone that didn't have something up, everyone's like, well, why not? What are you going to try next week? And just think about this, that zero cost ritual. Think about the message that it sends, that innovation is part of everybody's job, that we don't rest on our laurels. Part of our responsibility is to keep pushing the boundaries, that we have your back in success and when you stumble. I mean, just in that simple little ritual. So whether you embrace that one or something like it, the notion is rituals and rewards that support innovation drive enterprise value. What happens when you've tried pushing the idea for a little bit of time, you've brought others on board, there's a culture of risk-taking, but as you mentioned, there's that point in time where you just don't see it getting the results you want. At what point do you call it quits on an idea? How do you know when those ideas have reached their expiration? As, event, as an entrepreneur myself and an, inv an investor in over 100 startups, I like to say when you run out of both religion and science. So when you think about religion, that's your sort of belief and conviction in the idea just because you believe it. And, and when I say science, that means what is the data telling you? And so if you run a bunch of experiments, you can't try any new way and the data is not supporting it, and you sort of lose your personal conviction on it, when you've lost religion and science, it's kind of time to move on. But yeah. that, the thing is this, if you bet your entire career and future and family on one idea, that's hard to let go. But if you're, if you're less passionate about one idea, but more passionate about lots of them, if you're cultivating at any time 20, 30, 50 ideas, you don't care if one of those dies off because you got plenty of other bets to make. Yeah. Great ideas and a great book. Uh, Big Little Breakthroughs is the name of the book. Josh Linkner is the author. Great advice. And Kate, go out there, folks, and start innovating. It's high time. Josh, thanks for sharing your wish with us today. Truly my pleasure. And I do hope that you keep innovating as well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.